Folks, what's going on? Armin Hammer here, and you're about to catch an interview that I had with the one and only Sin Martinez. Sin is the man behind Afro Brutality. He has CrossFit Harlem under his belt as well. He is a very interesting guy. He's done a lot of really interesting things. It all kind of puts itself out there in a very in-your-face way, non-apologetic And yet, at the same time, it's all coming from a place of love, of localism, of trying to improve the environment and circumstances that he finds himself in, as well as teaching other groups of people how to improve the environments and circumstances they find themselves in. It really is a wonderful calling that Sin has, and he's a hell of a personality. So I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. We talk about a lot of different things from our shared experiences in uh, our similar experiences in doing triathlons, as well as this whole Greg Glassman fiasco that happened over the past couple of months as in just about everything else in between. It is really, really cool. I'm glad that I got a chance to talk to him. I'm glad you guys are going to get a chance to hear it. And I'm sure I'm going to be talking to Sin again very, very soon. Enjoy. Take care. I'll see you soon. Awesome. And I'll tilt it up maybe or whatever. Whatever. That's perfect. That's perfect. Goals I can put in the corner over here. Like, <laughs> Product. Yeah, shit. Make your shit super <laughs> sexy. Oh, it's just there for no reason. Oh, you know, just just how it's just how my it's just how my place is decorated with skulls. I got skulls every fucking where, dude. I mean, I'll hide them in the fucking kitchen, in the refrigerator. I got ice cubes that are skulls. Like that sounds pretty fucking dope. So you have you have like an ice cube mold that's that's. So I bought them. They're like silicone molds that you pour the you know you put it on it. You pour the water on the top, and they're like. They're the worst looking skulls ever, but you know, you get it. You get the yeah, point. yeah. They're really good for the first like three minutes. After that, it just <laughs> exactly. turns into <laughs> and they're like some round things with a tooth on it. Looks real <laughs> fucking fucked up. But oh, yeah, man. I just want to, you know, of course, say good morning to you, man. Like I've, I admired what you've been doing, man. Honestly, and you know, you know how hard this industry is, dude. And you know how hard. It is to have solid people and people that are about their word and a bunch of that shit. But I've watched you, you know, I've known yeah. Scott forever, dude. Forever. Forever. Dude, I remember. Podcast, podcast. I don't know if you, I'm going to tell you this. So, Life is RX had some fucking shirt that was like part time exerciser or some dumb shit. Yeah, yeah. They all did something very similar. And you know, the funny thing is, they were complaining to me about y'all. I was like, these are my guys. What are we talking about? So they were chatting and talking that dumb shit to me. (laughs) I said, let me just get Scott. So I put Scott on the phone with Marcus. I said, you niggas ain't know that shit. Like, don't have me in this shit. Like, I know you, Scott. You know, I've loved you forever. I know you, Marcus. I love you forever. Y'all motherfuckers figure that shit out because even if y'all go to war, I'm still loving you both. So right. I think we should just bring this shit together. I respect that. You're not gonna pick you're not gonna choose sides I over some petty bullshit. Sides, dude. And I I've watched, you know, these guys just fight over shit, the pettiest shit. And I'm just like, really, you're gonna fight over a pre-workout or some stupid <laughs> shit? 
Like, is it really worth an entire relationship over a fucking pre-workout? And, you know, man, I was in corporate America 25 years before I even came here. And I was always on an executive level. I had a team, I had a team anywhere between seven to 25 reported to me. I was doing daily conference calls with these guys, going in the field with these guys, supporting these guys. And to just have to deal with myself and not 25 other people, the personalities and likes and dislikes and achievements and underachievements and firing and hiring and promoting and congratulating. Now I ain't got to do all that. I can just focus on my shit. And then as things come up, I've, I've negotiated everything you could think of in corporate America, dude. Sexual harassment cases, fucking HR cases, uh, hostile work environment cases, you know, petty arguments among employees, police fucking each other. Like, I've dealt with a lot of shit. And when I came into CrossFit, I was like, okay, this is a lot of shit. And there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of machoism and shit. But... The unity was there, at least in the beginning, dude. Like, we all supported each other. We went to each other's gym. We wore each other's shirts. If we visited your gym or if you sent it to us because we met at a level one. Oh, yeah. There's so many coaches I met at my level one, which was like August 31st, 2008. And this is when they were in Virginia Beach. And they had the East Coast Training Center. So if you want to do a kettlebell cert, you had to drive there and get a hotel or fly there or whatever and uh, I remember driving took me like four and a half five hours you know from Harlem and got my little hotel you know and I'm I'm like I don't know what to expect you know what I mean and in the city I was trying to do the NASM and all that other shit so it was I set up both at the exact same time I took a week of NASM classes because they had like a little situation in the uh, in the city where you had like a live gym that you could practice on clients with. So it wasn't your typical, just read this book, read this manual, memorize the shit, take a test. It was almost like a level one. You had an actual classroom and then whatever you learned that day, you applied to actual live clients or one another if there were no clients available that day. Then I signed up for my level one, drove out there. I came back and said, y'all give me my motherfucking money back, man. I'm out of here. <laughs> This is dumb. You're doing that stupid shit. Nah, man. CrossFit is real as fuck. Dude, how did you hear about how did you hear about CrossFit way back in 08? And what was your work beforehand? It was 07. Um, okay, so Dave Lipson. Dave Lipson. And then there was uh her name was Jillian something or other. I think she came in third place at 2008 CrossFit Games. Um, they were in the city. They both trained and worked for a company called Velocity Sports. It's on like 59th Street between uh, Madison and Park Avenue. Um, it's a total gym where you go in there, you get certified as a trainer, you can bring your people in and they take a percentage of, they either charge you monthly if you've got that, or they charge you per client per hour if you got that. Like you, you can no- negotiate your own uh, will that, you know, there. So, I was already doing triathlons. I started in 2006. I ended up in 2009 after about a year of CrossFit. I said, eh, this is, this is less training. <laughs> I can see my chick, you know what I mean? <laughs> like that bike training where you're doing 150 miles, 170 miles. And I was always that guy that if I had to do a sprint triathlon, 
I was training like I had to do an Olympic triathlon in terms of size and distance. I had to do an Olympic. I'm training like I'm doing a half marathon, you know, half Ironman or full Ironman. Like, I did not want to come in there with pure fucking requirements, like the minimum requirements, dude. Yeah, you didn't want to do what I did and just barely. Well, you did? Yeah, I bare. I, I, so technically, I was actually pulled off the bike course during my half Ironman. What? And I snuck back. I, I, I lost the last like 10 miles on the bike. Because I completely bonked the swim because I hadn't done any, I hadn't done any swims that length. I hadn't done any biking that length because I was like, I'll survive. I'll be just fine. And then I snuck back on the course and finished the half marathon. So I was like, I'm like 85, 90% of the way through a half Ironman. Yeah. They pulled me out of, just to compare your story. They, um, so we swim in the Hudson, the Henry Hudson for the New York city triathlon. I've done it twice. I did 2007 in 2008. Um, in 2007, I mean, they got, they basically got it smart. You're just taking the current with you. Like you're just going with the current. And that's, I think they called, that's not the East River, that's the Hudson River. So it's basically the West Side River. And this particular year, the current went, you! Oh shit. I'm fighting against the current. Now picture this. You know, I'm in the Henry Hudson, and the way the Henry Hudson is, it's, it's really just the bay between New York City or Manhattan and Jersey. So you look to the right, you're seeing Jersey. You look to the left, you're in Manhattan. And the way the west side is set up, there's a bike track, there's a running track that goes right along that same Hudson River. So, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not crazy to see someone walking or biking. Like, you know, it's not that, you know. They're not necessarily spectators, but I remember two cu- uh, one couple right there looking. I'm like, oh, that's cool. They're watching me swim. <laughs> Dude, 45 minutes. No I'm shit. At the same couple. <laughs> I'm like, are they following me? No. I was swimming in place for 45 minutes. <laughs> they finally sent a, ca- uh, like a kayak because they've got, you know, those safety oh, people. Yeah. They sent a kayak. Okay, just, you're not moving. <laughs> you're actually not moving, sir. You're standing in place. Dude, just, we'll bring a boat over. We'll get you out of here. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> the well, first... I was totally spent. Of I'm course. I'm in place <laughs> for at least 45 minutes. It could have been a motherfucking hour. I have no idea. So they finally put me out, dude. And let me tell you, I wasn't even halfway done. Like, it's a mile. It's, it's sort of a mile. It's either yeah, three fourths yeah. or a full mile. And I'm not even done. I'm, like, halfway done. And I'm there for an hour swimming in place. So they finally put me on the bike, dude. And the bike was good, but it takes all your fucking energy. Because the way they got it set it up, you got to take the West Side Highway into the Bronx, sort of the tip of the Bronx. You go through Riverdale, and then you're actually getting to the Bronx, like Nashula Parkway, that kind of place. They got you coming up. You're a few blocks away from what they call Gun Hill. And then you turn around, come right back, and hit that West Side Highway. But to get up there is the steepest hill. Because you're literally going through the toll booth. Because there's toll booths on the Henry Hudson. And I came back down. And you start running on 72nd Street from the West Side. You go into Central Park. You do like a little bit of a loop. And then you just hit the fucking finish line. So I'm on 72nd finally, and I'll send you the picture because I got it. I'm smiling like a motherfucker. I'm finally off the bike. The only thing left is the run, dude. 
I got four blocks, maybe two or three blocks on West 72nd. My entire body just shut down. Like I couldn't, it was like, uh, uh, it was like that Tin Man. I did yeah. some oil shit. Like, uh, 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 and I just stand there. Thank God my son was coming up. I was like, go get me a soda. Go get me a banana. Literally anything, like, anything, anything, any sugar. Yeah. He got me about three bananas. And he finished the race with me, he ran with me. And I got pictures of that too. He ran with me in the Central Park and he didn't hit the finish line. You know, he let me do that, but he cut, you know, they cut him off so that he wasn't in any of the pictures, even though I thought that would have been beautiful. But that was my last New York City triathlon. Dude, dude I've done two. So I did, I, did a spr- I did a sprint triathlon in like 2014 with my wife, who was then my girlfriend. And then I, I, we did a half Ironman right after we got married a few years ago. And uh, the, the sprint triathlon was in Malibu. So we're swimming in the ocean. Ooh. I hadn't, I hadn't swam in the ocean until the ocean day before the race. Crazy. It was awful. So we like, we break, we get past the break. And I remember the lifeguard going, sir, are you okay? Are you okay? I was like, I just swim like this. I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm fine. I just swim no, like this. You had this. a wetsuit on. I did. I did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Did, you, it was, did you spend some coin or you get that cheap shit? No, I spent some, I spent some, I spent some real money How on that. Wetsuit. It was like six or $700. No. No? Is that not an expensive wetsuit? Got to get the 1500 the $2,000 oh, joints. Those paper thin and the most buoyant oh i yeah the mine was like buoyant. mine was like it was sleeveless it was thick oh, i was cheese shit cheesy shit i can't hit on that but i couldn't man i tried all of them because you got to think man how many fucking black dudes is doing this shit like, i can't show up with some jordans on like i gotta look fucking super professional i bought the the most expensive bike. I had a road bike and a tri bike. Oh shit! I trained on my road bike and then had to make sure I had the aero bars ready to go. Dude, I had the most expensive shoes that were like you know thin, minimalist. Oh yeah. I referred to them as Newton Running. I don't know if you remember that. Oh yeah, yeah. I had Newton Runners. Uh, I had the tracks. I didn't fuck around, dude. And I had the Iron Maiden shit on. Like I had the Iron dude. Maiden. Like. I'm not playing no games. No, I was the I was the opposite. I was absolutely oh. unprepared for both of those experiences, dude. On the bike, I remember this moment. I'll never forget this moment. On the bike for the half Ironman, I was I was for me. I was just terrified of the swim because I'd never swam more than a mile before, and it'd been 10, 15 years since I did that. So we'd been training in the pool, and I was doing okay. But the month or six weeks leading up to the race. I couldn't train. It was, I was on a, I was on like a three week long work trip and then we got married and then we took a trip. So by the time I got back for the race, I was, I was completely like out of any sort of shape to, to do this thing. So we, we do the swim. We barely make it under the cutoff time. My wife is, she grew up a swimmer. So she actually wow. stayed back for me. Ooh. And she was like, I'm going to, I'm going to ask before you try. Yeah. She was like, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking drag you through the water. Get that sleeveless shit, man. Let me talk to her. <laughs> yell at her, man. Dude, so <laughs> anyway, we make, waste the money. we make it through. We make it through the swim. We get on the bike and she's like, she's super fit. So she's just out. She's gone. She's like, fuck you. I'll, I'll catch you on the run. You'll be fine. And I was like, oh, this is the easy part. The bike is just grit. Like I've got grit. No problem. 
I had no food, no water, no snacks, nothing. I had one. It was, oh yeah. I was like, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to figure this out. Let's do it. I had one of those, uh, like those like chewy energy cube things. And I was like, all right. I love those. Yeah. I was like, all right, I think I, I can do this. Those, dude. But I felt like, you know what? I can't stop and eat it. Uh, I'm going to eat it while I'm biking, even though I've never done that before. So I like, I'm like wobbly. I like reach back into my little satchel pocket thing. I pull it out, like tear off the top and I'm about to put it in my mouth and I wobble and it falls on the ground behind me. <laughs> well, this is your only food. Only food for oh, a hundred, for like, what is it? Like a 60 mile or 70 oh, mile bike. The only snack that I had is oh, like all on the ground behind me. I had the arrow bottles, dude. I had the arrow bottles in one, like, I had the fucking, (laughs) what do they call that shit? Like, some type of fuel. Dude, I I damn near had the fucking stupid ass arrow hat. Helmet? Helmet, the fucking teardrop, like, you know. Aerodynamic shit. Did you have the the wheel that was the like the solid? No, expensive, dude. <laughs> and you had to glue them. Like it was dumb. I'm like, can I get a tube? Like, what is this shit? <laughs> Fuck you. I didn't, but I, I was going to. It, I, it got to the point where either because they saw I beat everyone I ever trained with, dude. I beat my coaches. I beat guys that I trained with. I was I was murdering this. So it got to the point where if I wasn't ready to buy the $1,500 wetsuit, the $6,000 fit bike custom, I wasn't going to go nowhere, dude. Like I did as best as I could with what I had. So I had to start investing. So I started looking for sponsors and I had a few. I actually did some auditions with MTV when they were doing that. Oh, so you want to be a this. And it was, so you want to be a triathlete. But they wanted to do it in Boston, and I couldn't convince them, even though my parents still live in Boston, I wasn't able to convince them that, you know, I would not not show up for any of the fucking episodes. So they went with some other guy that was local. But, dude, I was, I was, I was featured on uh, New York City Triathlon as their, you know, uh, triathlete of the month, you know, and it's based on the amount of uh, weight that I lost. I had lost 120 pounds while trying, you know, while working out with my friends and then training for triathlons. So they featured that. And then I was supposed to go on like local access news, but it just got dead on the vine somewhere. But for the most part, it was to the point where I needed sponsors if I was really going to do this professionally. So dude, so you lose, you lost, you lost over a hundred pounds. You did a bunch of triathlons. You discovered CrossFit in the middle there. You know, what, obviously you fell in love with CrossFit. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about that. Well, I fell in love with the time domains because I'm, I'm like a mathematician in my own head, right? I think I'm Einstein. I think I'm a fucking genius, right? So to me, it was genius that you could have and create these time domains, throw some lifting in there, Olympic weightlifting, throw some power lifting, throw some gymnastics, throw some running or endurance in there, say, go. I said, damn, because imagine me trying to teach triathlete or triathlon principles in the hood. Like, you know, I, I did some running classes for kids in my building because people had saw me on my bike all the time training. Because I'm at the time, I lived in the Bronx, a few blocks from Yankee Stadium, but I did all my training in Harlem. So, and then I, I eventually got an apartment in Harlem and 
I was always in and out of Harlem all the time, either living there or training there. And then when I decided to stay there, I just, that's when I sort of took over. But what I saw in CrossFit was just everything I had seen when I worked on Wall Street in terms of pre-IPOs and startup companies and revolutionary thoughts and concepts. I said, shit, man, this is, this is it. I'll never forget, it was Lipson and some other guy and they were just talking about what they had done to train. What, the way I met Lipson was, you know, again, I wasn't trying to teach triathlon principles in my, in my hood. I was trying to teach something that was repeatable or measurable, that sort of thing. So Nike at the time, as it's this thing they were doing for endurance was called Spark, so S-P-A-Q or something like that. And they set up what they call Nike Spark testing in certain gyms. And now it was, it was a way to get members, right? But it was a free test. They tested your vertical, they vertical lead. They tested your side to side in terms of how fast you were. They tested your 50, your 100, and then they had this endurance race where it was like two cones at the end of the 50, two cones at the beginning, and you'd hear a beep, and you'd have to get to the other side before you heard the beep again. Because when you heard the beep again, you're coming back, and they just you did that as long as you could. Yeah. Now, I beat Lipson. He probably will never tell this story. But <laughs> based on the fact that I was, I was 38 at the time. This guy was like 26 or some dumb shit. Professional, and professional ball player at that point, exactly. right? Exactly. So they were in the corner. And you know, if you know anything about me, and I'm sure we'll get into this if we do something else, I'm just a listener, dude. Like, I like to listen for ideas. I like to research good thoughts. And I like to figure out where the innovation of any fucking market is coming from. Because that's sort of like the Wall Street guy in me. I want to be able to put my money on something or put my time on something that's going to be five and 10 years down, something that I can relish from, something I can have become wealthy from. So when I heard him talk about CrossFit, they said CrossFit and then Jim Jones, and I couldn't remember CrossFit, but I remember Jim Jones. So I went home, Google that shit, because I was, they were like, fuck, not even close to me. Yeah, you're just, you're like they hearing them from the other side of the corner. Damn, you're whispering, like, what did you do to train for this? CrossFit, Jim Jones, and I heard. <laughs> I wrote this shit down, dude. I ran to Harlem. And once I figured out it was CrossFit and I saw it, we, you know, at that time, we're talking 2007, so they had all the instructional videos that were like YouTube links, and sometimes mm-hmm. they did them on their own through CrossFit Media, and... Tony Budding and all those guys started to put that kind of stuff together. And I was just proud. I didn't even know what a clean was. I mean, I knew what a clean was, but I didn't know how to do it properly. I was using my back, you know what I mean? Like the dumb shit. But to see them and the way they broke it down, I used to just bring it to Harlem. I didn't tell them shit. I was just like, just try this workout. Tell me what you think. And because I ran, you know, that certain gyms, not based on, you know, anything other than my reputation that was known for being a beast like okay if you're trying to be at the top you got to beat this guy and I was like let's go baby let's go so I was just known for just beasting out on cats like you're gonna have to like find some real depth if you're gonna beat me today sir we're talking about simple shit like just running stairs or 
you know, running a 400 meter or 800 meter or mile repeats, like you were going to have to go deep to beat me. So I just use CrossFit as a way to say, okay, you same guys that have beat the death in the gym, try this out. Tell me what you think. Cause I knew I'd get an objective opinion. I'd get a professional opinion because these guys are at the top. Let's, I don't think there's any way to keep this conversation moving forward without talking about Harlem because your it's like you it's like your guiding light is like trying to bring positivity and change to this place. So why? Tell me tell me about Harlem. Like why why is it so important to you? Why do you love this thing so much? That's a deep comment. You're the first one to ask me this, man. This is why you get the big money. This is why you got the good hair. This is why you got the fucking dope headphones on and the fucking mic. You're the first person to ask me this, dude. Congrats on that. Let me tell you. Um, you know, my mother's a Black Panther, dude. Like, she, in college, she helped them run the homeless um initiative and feeding the homeless and feeding the kids and the lunch program and the breakfast programs this is in denver colorado and my mother grew up on a ranch if you wanted some deer meat you went and fought you went and found a deer meat make sure your fucking skills was good because you want to fuck up the meat with the wrong shot you know it had the buck in there you know like the buck shots so my mother got to the city and it just blew her mind that there were homeless people. It blew her mind. You're homeless? Just go in the woods. Like, you shoot some shit and go chop it up. And, you know, because she has also that Native American background. You know, my mother's half black and half Native American, uh, Navajo Indian. So her principles are just different, dude. Her morals are different. And when she saw homeless people, she couldn't deal with it. So by the time she got out of college, she you know, interviewed for IBM. She interviewed for Arthur Anderson. She went with Arthur Anderson for a while and then went with a company called Digital Equipment Corporation. And if you do your research, it's like these were mainframe guys. These were government contracts. These were city contracts. They were the first ones to do that mainframe that still exists. I'm sure they call it Oracle or something else at this point. But for the most part, my mother was like this accountant genius that was able to get, you know, sea level opportunities or very close to sea level opportunities in the 70s, dude. So my mother used to, instead of Three Little Pigs, she's talking about the assassination of Martin Luther King or Malcolm X and who's Huey P. Newton. And though I never was good at names, I was good at the picture she would show me. So for example, that very famous picture uh, Malcolm X looking out the window with the riot gun. All she would do was look at this. She would say, what do you see when you look at this picture? I said, a man that's willing to die for what he believes in. A man that little than I know he was protecting his family, but you know, I didn't know his name. I didn't figure out that that was Malcolm X until I got to college, but I didn't figure out who all these guys, these are like, I'm a kid. I'm like three, four, five, six, seven, eight. She stopped doing it right around nine or 10. She wanted me to, she felt I was good enough to experience the world based on what she had told me and I did that. So Harlem is Joe Lewis, it's, it's, it's the Apollo, it's Lennox Lounge, it's you know jazz music, it's where all these guys came to innovate and create things within their community to serve their community. And, 
every black celebrity you can think of came there, been there, played the Apollo. And I had to figure out what was my story going to be in Harlem? What, what can I add to that? Like, clearly I'm not Martin Luther King and I'm not Malcolm X, but for me, if I was going to build anything um, and I was going to build it in Harlem on purpose. So a lot of things, what I've been telling everyone is I do everything I do on purpose. And it seems horrid when I say it because I look at their face and they're just like, so you moved to Harlem on purpose and tried to figure out something that you could add to the history or to the community of Harlem. I said, yes, I did. I did that on purpose. It wasn't an accident. I went in and slowly learned the political system in there. I slowly learned the cops in my neighborhood. I slowly learned the gyms in my neighborhood and what type of principles these guys lived on. The hoods that were just getting out of jail and doing all those pull-up things in the park. I mean, I knew all these guys. I was in and out of all these guys' lives because, honestly, Harlem is not that big, dude. I mean, it stretches from 110, some will say 145th, and then you get into what they call Sugar Hill when you go up 145th Street Hill, and then there's different factions there, uh, Strivers Row and all this. But I came to Harlem on purpose to just add the Black history, dude. I I have a lot of respect for that for a lot of different reasons. I mean, you know, the 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 concept of localism, I think, is something that's lost in a lot of so people's lost. lives. And there's so much value that you can gain and add if you just focus on the local neighborhood and community that you live in and bringing positivity there. Like it's almost like building positivity from the bottom up um, in terms of how to improve, you know, society or the world or whatever. I'll tell you where I got it from the fucking gangsters, the killers, the gang members. Like these are, you're killing guys for a few blocks. Really? Like, is those few blocks that really that important? I said, well, let me just take all the borough of Manhattan. Let me just let me just take one borough at a time. Let me take one block at a time, dude. And I'm gonna go way farther than any drug dealer. I'm not selling, I'm selling positivity, I'm selling fitness, health and wellness. And I've got tie-in from gangsters and all these guys that are on the top because they seen me come to I used to visit Harlem, you know, once a year, you know, and I got in through the Village Voice and figuring out, like, you've got to be in the city to start looking for places to live. The place that I worked at in Colorado had an outcare or outsource center. That's when call centers were coming into play. And this was like 92, 93. And one was 9X, which at the time was the phone company for basically uh, most of the East Coast. So which it would range from Maine pretty much it stopped right around New York. And then once you get below that, I don't know about Jersey, maybe Jersey, I'm not hundred percent, but I think that was the border. So I went and got a job with 9X on purpose. I went to tell them all the time, I'm looking to New to New York on purpose. Like I just little by little, step by step, had this dream of mine, dude, that was just kind of developing, you know, and. I was able to pull in bits of history and start to understand that this is a spiritual journey. Like this is a, a journey of purpose. And 
I never let anything get in my way, dude. Like I failed about a bunch of shit. You know, I did a lot of shit wrong. I learned on the fly, but I never let shit, you know, ultimately get in my way. I've been sidetracked many times, you know, with relationships and whether they were intimate or, or personal or business. Sometimes I gave in a little bit to get a little bit more closer to where I was going. But, you know, I'm, I'll be 50 this year, dude. No one knows this. Everyone tells me I'm 38. Like, no, my man, I'm <laughs> fucking 50. Did you see this shit? Like, that's not some 38-year-old shit. That's some 50 shit. So I'm super in- introspective. I call my mother once a week, and we have conversations we've never had before, like, why did you join the Black Panthers? And she told me, like, why did you tell me this shit while I'm in bed? Like, fuck, you fucked my head up since I was a kid. But I had to show her the ultimate blessing. But I learned that from the gangsters, man. I, I watched these guys kill each other and sell drugs in my neighborhood, on my block. And I wanted to try to figure out if they were young enough, like my son's age or younger, what can I do that could actually change their life and get them off that corner? So I, I wake up every day thinking about my son. Um, I want him never to have to fall victim to gang violence. I never want him to fall victim to drug dealing. I never want him to fall, to die young. So I always wake up with that kind of purpose in mind. Obviously, something like that, the work never ends, right? There's no, there's no finish line. But, you know, you've been at it for a while now and you've been you know i think the the sort of the method the the vehicle of this transformation has been kind of health and fitness through crossfit you know how do you do you think that you've been successful like do you see a positive outcome for all this all this action yes um you know i set up after brutality on purpose like, I love the name, by the way. Afro-Brutality. Everyone it, loves it. I've it, tried to you take know. that thing. I've, I Listen, man, we're talking. I'm opening it up. But I've tried to change that name a million times, dude, because I would get phone calls from my Midwest people, and they're like, they're in the Bible Belt. Oh, they think <laughs> we're going to kill all the black guys. Like, oh, just let them go to the site or buy it something. Just show them that, you know, this is like counterculture. This is a name that shouldn't exist anywhere and have no positivity attached to it. It's damn near a gang. It's damn near a heavy metal band. Like, but it's beautiful that I was sort of guided in that purpose. But I tried to change that name for years, man. People just, I can't get rid of this shit. It's like, don't change uh, it, dude. It's so dope. But I did that, you know, Greg Glassman clearly has, he came to Harlem in 2009. And it was right around August or, or October or something like that. That was a challenge, dude, because I was meeting all of the HQ because I was going to some of the first certifications ever. So I met, you know, they're there to evaluate the program. They're there to evaluate the coach. Is, should this be an SME? What is an SME? You know, that sort of thing. So I remember, you know, meeting these guys. Be like, yeah, yeah, if you want me to affiliate, I was never going to affiliate, dude. Never. Like, what was the purpose? Why do I need to affiliate? Yeah, you've already I mean, given me everything I need. I want. Do you think I need these headaches? <laughs> motherfuckers fighting over dumb shit. You think I want to be a part of that? So I would just talk to trash. I was like, bring Greg to Harlem if he really wants me to affiliate. And then when he showed up, I was like, ooh. 
Then they were, I still didn't do it. And so they called me two weeks later, Sin, you're still not affiliated. You know, I ain't got no money. You know, shit's tight. It's free. I said, oh, fuck. So I made Apple Brutality two months later, dude, because I knew if CrossFit needed to get into or wanted to get into the black community, there had to be a very proper, precise introduction because you've got military, you've got police, you've got FDNY, like you've got all these racist factions that have done brutality in all kinds of different ways, whether it was verbally or slogan wise or just on Twitter talking dumb shit. So I had to go in there and I created this on purpose to be a little bit of heavy metal with a little bit of hip hop, put some health and wellness in there and then be like, okay, what do you think? Black community is cool enough. And then we'll go from there. But you just create it, as they say, and then they'll come. You know, you just build it and they come. And everyone came, dude. Like white, black, transsexual, bisexual, homosexual, you name it. Tall, short, fat, skinny. And then I realized, you know, through, and I, I had to call, I don't know if you know Dutch Lowy. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, you know, I, I finally, because... Me and my lady were talking about like every second count since so she's never seen this shit. I said, what? You've never seen the first CrossFit movie? You're ridiculous. But I watched it, dude, and I tried <clears throat> I tried to contact Dutch over anything. I emailed him. I did whatever, and he reached out. He reached back. And Dutch used to have this seminar <clears throat> that got picked up by Catalyst Athletics, you know, Greg Everett and them. Oh, yeah. He would just talk about the good parts of CrossFit and the bad. How do you see a good workout versus a bad one? How do you program this versus program that? When do you go hard and go for a PR? When do you don't? Like he was so about the mentality and the, you know, the connectivity of it and the bohemianism of it. And this is just little fucking guy fucking text. I think he comes to my chin. He comes to my chin. And I followed him around the country, dude. I said, I'm going to get you in New York City, and I'm going to sit up front. And I told him that day one. And then we got him at CrossFit uh, South Brooklyn. But with a mixture of his bohemianism, my crazy heavy metal influence, and hip-hop, I said, I'm just going to make this. CrossFit is Aerosmith. I'm Run DMC. And let's just come together, man, for some walk-this-way shit. Or... Slayer and Ice T, or you name it, dude. Fucking Anthrax and Public Enemy. So obviously, you know, I don't know if a lot of people are super familiar with Afro brutality. They should be. I just remember the first time seeing the like the first time I saw the skull and fro logo, I was immediately sold. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what this is. I don't know who this guy is, but that is one of the coolest fucking things I've ever seen. And I will wear that shirt and like have that coffee mug. And like, I will, I will rock this 100% of the time because of how cool this thing looks. And since then, you know, obviously I've learned a lot more about what you do and how it works and, and why, you know, you're, you're getting after it the way you are. Um, and I think it's really cool that obviously there's, you know, some more depth to it other than creating something cool. But the fact that creating something cool is part of, the method it's part the of the method yeah. dude yeah it's talk as much shit as you can get away with 
and just make the coolest shit you've always wanted to make, dude. I've remade Iron Maiden album covers, dude. I've done Black Sabbath, Upside Down Crosses. I've done Unicorns. I've done Hell. I did Hello Kitty, which I made Hell Kitty. Like, I'm just having the most fun, talking the most shit, and it just so happens to work. And I just so happen to actually have a purpose and a message behind it. But, dude, I what sucks now is the conversation with white and black, and it sucks. This was always hip hop and heavy metal. This was always like communities that never necessarily met each other come together for one common cause. It's never been, I did this for black people. Because I tell you, man, my, my biggest supporters are not black. You know, Al Sharpton has never been to my gym. I don't get calls from Michael Jordan. Like predominantly black uh, athletes are not hitting me up to train them. I'm in the streets, literally struggling, dude. I'm in the streets, broke as fuck, buying anything I need to so that if a person crossed, you know, came, walked past us working out, they might just inquire and they might inquire enough to either become a member or go do this on their own at home. Like, dude, it's, it's, I remember it's, it, I mean, think about it. It's the corny shit, dude. Imagine this, because I woke up with this dream. And I said, what if we could cure racism with fitness? Like, what if we could really sit down and create like a golf course? Because I used to be a caddy. I was a caddy for a long time. I was actually Mr. Caddy, like 1995 or something. Is that a calendar? Do you like a calendar shoot? I actually didn't even show up for the award, man. I didn't even know. Like, they didn't even invite me to go. Like, this is the most prestigious club, I mean, uh, country club in, in Denver, Colorado. And I didn't even know I won. You know, I had a fucking, I, I, I got shit for it. I just went, can you the next day? Like, yeah, give me that shit later. Like, I ain't here for the applause, man. I'm here for the money. So, with fitness, and I heard people in my gym because I had black bankers coming, I had cops coming, and I were here two main things sin no one else in the world can talk to us like this congratulations and the second one was crossfit is the new uh golf course so i said wow if i could just put together the most professional the best looking the best kind of workout or workout space i could bring all types of communities together and they might start talking to each other and they may find some commonality. And it worked for bankers and the politicians that were coming. Um, it also worked for the cops. Uh, I was able to, people say humanize, but I was able to become friends with cops that were three blocks away from my house, you know what I mean? And that friendship developed over six years and, and, and honestly over nine years. But, you know, I, I woke up with that thought, like what if we never have to shoot another gun what if we never have to protest again? Whether we just all as a community say, let's just do 20 push-ups three days a week and, you know, kumbaya that shit, play some heavy metal. Like, you know, after weeks and weeks of doing and working out with someone and bonding with them on such a minor level, which is like, let's just like push-ups, I think you might be able to find some similarities that you ain't going to find on Twitter. You're not going to find on Facebook. You're not going to even find in the street. This little confined areas where you might be able to find it. 
It's interesting you should mention that because to me, my experience, and I think this probably reflects in a lot of people's experiences, but I'm curious about, about you know whether this is true for you as well, is that in person, in real situations, the types of conversations that are happening are night and day different from the types of conversations that happen on social media. And it's not just about the tone of what those conversations are. The actual heart and topic of what is being discussed and why we're talking about it and how you know types of uh, solutions are being come up for, for various problems, it's completely different. It's completely different. Well, think about this, right? This will be the first time I said this, and I, I want to give you all the gems and jewels, but this is the very first time I ever said this. You know, I was raised black militant, dude. Like, I hated white people just based on numbers alone. I grew up in the burbs. Like, I am the only black family in an all-white town. I don't know even when I'll see another black person. And I live like that with fear, you know, I, I would fear for my life, you know, because I got my mother talking about assassinations at night and little did she know, as soon as she got out of that bedroom, I'm crying myself to sleep. Like it was, I had such empathy for slavery and such empathy for civil rights and such empathy for the struggle that as soon as I got a chance to like get in the streets and struggle, I did it. And I, I continue to do it until I can make any of my ancestors happy if I can add to black history in any particular way, which is why I came up with the black history wads. But yeah, dude, you get these same tough guys in a room, they're mushy mush. How many times I argue with these fucks and then they see me and they're damn near on their knees. You know what I mean? Both send them. I love you. Like you're, you're fucking trash. Get out of my face. But once you get them in a real life situation and you can see them at the grocery store, it doesn't necessarily have to be the gym. You can see them on the sidewalk. Oh, was you know that they were talking that trash? And I'm the guy that I will message you. I will video chat you. Oh, you want to argue with me? Let's go. We're doing it face to face right now. Like I'm that guy, man. I just don't play those games because, you know, not, I'm, I'm egotistical as fuck. And I, I got a reputation of being this real ridiculous guy. But at the, at the heart of it, you're not going to mess with my message. You're not going to mess with my dreams. I don't care your stupid-ass comment. I'm going to take you down. And, and whether I do the video rant or whatever, they delete everything, I just feel like I'm not going to let you get away with one word of negativity on my, on my fucking Instagram or on my Facebook. You can go fuck yourself because I work hard for this, and I'm doing this for a reason, man. I'm not trying to line my pockets. At this point, I just want us to stop killing each other, dude. So I'm very, I know exactly what you're saying and it's night and day. What was your reaction to all this Greg Glassman stuff over the, over like, you know, the course of June when everything just um, melted down? I, don't, I was speaking to him for a week on, on, I was texting him for a week. We were going back and forth. I was trying to convince him that he should say something, just and it, I was just pulling all the punches because I've used to work hand in hand with CrossFit Media with any racial shit that came up. So if something came up and it was newsworthy, I was I was one of the speed you know speed dial calls, like saying we got this situation. What do you think? Give us your two cents. Uh, let me handle that. I'll take you know depending on the severity of it. I said let me just go to Facebook. I'll take care of that. Or 
you know, let me go to Facebook and at least say something. Okay, thank you. That'll start the conversation. Because <clears throat> I think it was 2012 or 13, and you can research this. Um, some guy posted something about why do blacks not do CrossFit? And this is like 2012 or 13. And unfortunately, uh, all he did was quote me. This is the only black guy in CrossFit, CrossFit Hall of Afro Brutality, like, and all white people are wearing it. You know, like it was, it was sort of disgusting. And when they did the research on the guy, it turned out he had some connections with white supremacy, you know, whether it was KKK or skinhead or whatever. And they put it down. By then, this new media guy, CrossFit, you know, and I think it was out of Vancouver or something, had already made the bed. Like, now we're stuck with it. So because they quoted me, AP News was calling me, NPR News was calling me, The Times, everyone was calling me for quotes. I don't know how much of it actually got published because I, I really just let CrossFit Media handle that. I really didn't, the call stopped after I gave them the control to do whatever it is they needed to do. So it was super disappointing. And, you know, for anyone to listen, for anyone that will really try to hear these words, Greg Glassman, I was talking to him for a week before he did this dumb shit. All you fucks cannot take more personal what he did than I did. I was talking to him for a week, trying to convince him to say something. I said, Greg, do it for the black community. What black community? Do it for George Floyd. I don't know this guy. Do it for me, Greg. Fuck it. Just do it for me. I've done it for you. And then this is what he says. So... Everyone who's outraged, I get it. But this is the Black community. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I represent the Black community directly. I deal with them every day in some sort of fashion. So when he literally disrespects the Black community directly, whether it's this particular guy who's then become almost a civil rights leader based on the protests, you know, he did that to me, you know, to the guy that was pleading for a week for you to say something, and this is what you say. So I went on a Twitter rant, I went on a Facebook rant, like I went on an Instagram rant because he really broke my heart, man. He just broke my heart and I wasn't, I was upset, but literally just broke my heart. So I handled that very emotionally and I handled that as someone that had just saw his best friend, like call him a nigga or like, like, you know, I handled it extremely personally. And once I started getting companies, I can't name them all. I promised I wouldn't, but people were sending me their statements. Sin, look at this statement. What do you think? Sin, do I do a black square? Sin, do, what do I say to my black members? And I've taken over 4,000 calls. Uh, and I did a Zoom almost every day, a conference call every day, a podcast almost every day. And we're talking for at least 30 days, a little bit longer. And what I realized is that we just don't know how to talk to each other. Now, I, I, I've studied hood language. You know, I grew up in the burbs. Yes, I was well-to-do and we went to Nantucket in the summer. And, you know, we, we went to Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard. Like, yes, I grew with money and kids were kept telling me my, I was rich. Oh, you're rich. I'm just like, well, my shoes look like shit. Like, I don't understand what rich means. And I realized it was a mentality. It wasn't necessarily where you lived. It was what you got out of the fact and the values that you, you produced or, or picked up by being well off. So I, I, I let all that go to go to the black community and struggle and to, to add to black history. So there's no one on the planet. And 
I hope people say I'm wrong. I hope people can show me how they're right. But I, I was at the top with this and there's no one more disappointed, dissatisfied, upset, angry, blood in the eye and heartbroken than me, dude. I was talking to a guy for a week and then this is your answer. This is, this is what you're going to say as after I'm pleading with you for a week. Yeah, it was, um, I, I mean, disappointing is probably a good way of describing it. You know, Greg, you know, relatively well, as, as well as any of us who don't spend every day with him can, right? Um, you know, like, dude, I, I mean, I don't even, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to talk about, it's hard to talk about uh, Greg Glassman and his behavior over the past uh, couple months. because Decade. That because that's what it is, right? Because that's what it is. What you're what you're talking Decade. about is one of many Decade. situations. Decade. So it it it's it's really strange, and I, I tried to convey this to a lot of people as best as I could. Is this idea that you know I think what most people are struggling with is this this really challenging trying to come to terms with how positive CrossFit has been in all of our lives and how sort of disappointing and brutal and not okay his response to this entire situation was at the same time. Plus, you know, that's colored with like all the other shit that Greg has done and said in the past. So there's this really difficult sort of balancing act and and trying to balance those scales out on one end or another is, uh, I think it, it gives a lot of people, a lot of people a hard time. Well, let me tell you what position I was put into. I've got people that I've known, you know, I've been in CrossFit, uh, you know, I've been out for six years, but I started in 2007, got affiliated in 2009, was training and, and getting certified in 2008. And because I'm so loud with it and so black and proud or however people see that, I see hip hop, I see, you know, hip hop and heavy metal. I mean, that's just how I grew up, the Commodores and Slayer the Commodores and Iron Maiden, the Commodores and Black Sabbath. So my mother was playing that shit at home. My, my friends were playing that shit at school or anytime we could sneak it in. So when I made what I made, I made it as a marriage of communities. I didn't make it. I also made it to say, fuck you, come take us on. We'll fuck you over. And we showed that. But there's going to be a deeper conversation later on. I'm going to cover, I'm going to give you a, where I, what, I'm going to answer what you're saying, and I'm going to start giving you a little piece of the deeper conversation that I'm being put into. So if you think about it, because I've been around so long, and I've known a lot of these affiliates, and they're all calling me. I'm taking all these calls. And they're saying, I'm de-affiliating today for you, Sin. And I'm like, it's really not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to figure out ways for us to become a community again, dude. Like out here on the East Coast, we used to work out wherever, dude, parking lots. Like we didn't give a fuck. And when we see each other, super hugging. But because everyone went for that in the gym kind of garage game series, it just segued the community where the regionals wasn't the place where sectionals didn't exist anymore, where you did the open online, you didn't do it in person. So we, we, the business kind of divided the community to be better in terms of profitability, to be smarter in terms of what they're doing. 
I think the smartest thing Castro or whoever came up with was to get rid of all the barbells that won regionals and it was like dumbbells and running and shit like, whoa. Imagine how much money they saved on shipping barbells and shipping weights. You know, to me, that was a great business move and it looks like CrossFit and I get it. But bringing the open in was, okay, you're making however much they make every year doing the open online. But sectionals was everything, dude. And this was 2009 or 10. It was 10. Yeah, it was 10. And you'd see the guy you, that might take your regional spot right there. And you're like, okay, if you're doing 10, I'm doing 11. Fuck you. You know, you got to see your guy right in front of you. You got to see his technique. You, didn't have, you couldn't do that workout three and four times that week. Like you had one shot to be to the top and get to regionals or it was over for you till next year. We, somehow we've got to get back to actually being a community dude. So all these companies that are like, oh, he said this, I'm out of here, I'm constantly canceling contracts, I'm de-affiliating. Again, he disrespected me directly and indirectly. And I'm still saying like, okay, he's a total piece of shit. But guess what? This guy came to Harlem when I started. And though we weren't able to negotiate something right then and there so that we could like really come together like a joint venture, Al Sharpton still hasn't shown up. Neither has Michael Jordan. Neither has P. Diddy. No, none of these guys is coming to talk to me even and try to figure out what I'm doing. Now they send representatives all the time and I'm not sure if they're just stealing from me or whatever on the side or taking training techniques and using them in the gym. But dude, all these companies really and everyone de-affiliating just got to realize that you are, there's no way you could be more upset than I am. It's just none. And you can't take this more on the chin than me. I was talking to the guy for a week and he totally disrespected me directly when I asked him, damn near forced him to say something. And then he disrespected my community. So that's that conversation. And though he did this, I'm like, okay, let's get him some rehab. You know what I realized? There's no rehabilitation for racists. Like you can be a total drug addict, go into rehab for six months, now you're clean. So Greg has two choices. You can blame this on alcohol, go to fucking rehab camp for a year or two years, whatever. Or you can get on drugs, you get on rehab, and, you know, like you can blame it on all kinds of shit. But for us to directly deal with the fact that what he said to the country basically looks like a racist. There's no way to reform him through that. There's no way to say, okay, you took racist boot camp for six months, a year. Now you're less of a racist and we're going to treat you like your racism is like a drug addiction. And if you see the wrong nigga or you see someone you want to call a nigga instead of you saying it in your head because you may be saying it now you're like i can't say that that's jonathan from harlem or that's muhammad from brooklyn like that's where my mind goes when i think about this there's got to be a way to rehabilitate this guy and several others several others dude yeah like, it's a bigger thing than just greg i mean oh, it's not greg dude yeah. he's yeah. just rich yeah connected 
He's probably got a harem of chicks feeding him grapes. That's why when I was texting him, I sent him the Rocket CrossFit thing. I said, look what they're saying about you. Then I sent him, because black media picked it up too, on what they call Bowler Alert. I said, and then CrossFit blocked Bowler Alert. I said, you can't block Bowler Alert. That's black media. But no one was listening. So I really feel like this is a sickness that our entire country is suffering from. And it comes down terrible communication skills, the ability to, to agree to disagree without really getting with the obscenities on it and starting to call each other names. I think that's what's happening. This is a domestic violence relationship and we're going to be good for a while. And then we might smack her and she says some dumb shit and then we're going to fight for a while. And then we're going to have makeup sex. Like, you know, that's what we've been doing for so long, dude. I think we're finally getting to the point where we've recognized the domestic violence and we're saying, let's take more steps to try to eradicate that. But with Greg, you know, he broke my heart, dude. And I want, I'm still by his side, dude. Like right now, and people don't know this, like the more they hate this guy, the more I'm going to love him. Because I, I understand him, dude. He's a genius. He's a fucking genius. And geniuses are hard to come by. They're on that insanity thing all the time. Because you can imagine, man, some little boy, and I grew up in Acton, Massachusetts, man. You can Google that shit. And I was the only black family. And I would have dreams of unity. I would have dreams of white and black coming together. I would have dreams of us working out together, let's just say. And not just the kind ones, like the most racist motherfuckers that will kill niggas with guns just because they're black. Please come work out with me. And most people are trying to run from these people, dude. No, come to my gym today. Uh, free. It's free ever, forever. Like, I want to talk to you niggas. Like, let's talk. Let's talk. Mother, you think I'm a nigga? Let's talk about that. What's up? Based on what? Because, you know, I would break it down. Okay, this characteristic is clearly not me. I'm super educated. Here we go. Let's talk. Like, I want the most evilest white person in the entire world to come to my fucking gym and just take my class. If he can survive, let's talk. You know, he's going to be lolling over the floor if he didn't work out or, or stretch or whatever the stupid shit he may do. But that's just where I'm at with it, dude. I grew up with actual racists. Like, I grew up in Texas. I went to high school in Texas. A little bit of middle school, but mainly high school. And these are guys. I was the first black family in a subdivision. Uh, it was called Chisholm Trail, which is right outside of Austin and Round Rock. And these guys carry shotguns and I'm going to the whatever, I call it a bodega because I'm in the city, but I went to whatever convenience store was in there and they're watch, watching me walk home and they're thinking maybe I'm going to rob somebody's house and they pull up with their same thing that the, uh, the brother in Atlanta went through when they shot him and all that. And I was walking in abandoned houses. Dude, we fuck chicks in abandoned houses. Like, what are we talking about? Like, we had pizzas delivered to abandoned houses and we would run. Like, this is just what we did in the burbs. So I've had guys pull guns right on me. Nigga, where are you going? Uh, I'm going home. I live right there. Oh, my bad, my bad. Put it back in the truck and go on his way. So to see that kind of violence, that kind of racism, and now it's a tweet, like, 
you know, that's a total disrespect to the KKK, man. They really should write a letter to Greg and be like, man, I'm totally pissed off that this shit is considered racist, man. We used to hang these niggas. I don't understand what's going on. So go ahead. Sorry, no, no, I'm with I'm with you because you know I um yeah, I was, uh, do you know Cor do you know who Corey Allen is? I did an interview with him recently. He he owns a a, a gym in uh, York, Pennsylvania. It's called CrossFit Bat Cave. He uh, is, you know, he's he's black. He spent time in prison for dealing drugs. Found CrossFit while he was in prison. Um, is this and the, guy with the prison reform system. Yeah, I think so. I think I think that that he's under a different name. They reached out years ago. Yeah. So and they they tried to do a like some some uh, media on him right before all the media was like shut down and and kicked out and stuff. But he's been an affiliate for a couple of years now, and we were talking about it and. You know, I, I, I asked him, you know, I, would you say that like Greg's racist? Like you've, you've interacted with people at HQ a bunch. You've talked to Greg before. Like, would, have you, like, did you get that sense? And his response was, no, I never, I, I never would have said that. I, I still would not say that. And my, my interactions with Greg have always been the same. Like I've been around Greg at, uh, you know, various He's functions. It's like, guy. yeah, it, it's, it's so, it, it's, it's so strange because you can be a lot of things at the same time. You can be a genius and you can be an asshole. You can be, you know, a revolutionary and you can also be, you know, set in your ways as like a womanizer or whatever, right? All these different things can exist at the same time. And it's interesting that you're bringing up this idea that there isn't any sort of path to redemption for someone who's labeled a racist. How do you fix that? Well, <sighs> Dude, they just opened up so much business opportunities for me, man. They just have no idea. We're already trying to work on something that we're going to talk call like racist reform or something. Like, I just don't understand because, you know, I take Greg's calls, man. I'm not, I'm not that guy. Like, if you can apologize, which he has on his knees crying, then I can accept your apology. Like, I'm not above giving someone a second chance. So... Right now, for as it is, I've got I've got his little soul in my head, and I just tell him anytime I can that I love him to death, man. Like I can't hate on this guy, like I I can't hate anybody at this point, but I definitely can't hate this guy. But it comes down to understanding every faction of racism, and it comes down to psychological terms, you know, trauma terms. What did he deal with growing up? What did I deal with growing up? Like. We, it's almost like therapy, dude. It's like going to the therapist and we're going to try to create something so that and maybe it'll be boot camp. Maybe there'll be some, some working out in there and you got to work out what a you know, what, with uh, the head of the Ku Klux Klan. I don't know. Like, but there has to be something, dude. We can't just say, oh, okay, you're a racist. We're going to put you on an Island somewhere and you're done. Like, no, I'll tell you, man, I don't even like them getting rid of Confederate flags. I don't like them pulling down statues. I don't like all this dumb shit because if that's how you feel about that flag, you should be okay with it. I should be okay with it. I never got pissed off with KK rallies. I think that's beautiful. Shit. I'm going to go create an Afro brutality rally. I mean, what you going to say then? Like, you know, I'm on the other side of this. Like I deal with racial tension, even the in my word. In the name of my company, dude, people call me, 
They don't know if they're with us or without us. Like, NYPD can't wear my shit because it's considered inappropriate. Like, it's crazy, dude. That's why it's beautiful to see the narrative being changed in my own community one at a time. But I'll tell you what, man, there, we've got to figure out a way as a community, as a nation, to address racism. And we can't do it by just hiding it or changing the labels or putting everyone on, you know, like uh, three paces shot. Like, we can't kill all these guys. We can't eradicate them we can't exercise them but we can talk to them and figure out where they're coming from and just accept them for who they are or not but not look around to try to kill them and change them yeah usually in my experience uh when you approach a conversation with somebody and the first blush like interaction that you have paints someone in a, a negative light or puts them into a corner or puts them back on their heels there isn't, uh, you know, that sets a tone where it, it, it gets them more entrenched into whatever behavior you're talking about. Um, you know, it, it almost forces an exaggerated version right. of the thing that you're accusing them of being. It also you know? forces them to hide. It yeah. forces them to feel like they've made a mistake. Oh, I was totally wrong. I shouldn't be talking about the Civil War. I shouldn't have South pride. I can't listen to Sweet Home Alabama. Like, come on, yes, you can. That was the beauty of this melting pot is that racist people and non-racist people can find common ground in America. One of my best friends is is German. Uh, he's out here. Uh, he lives here in Austin. And I asked him about what it was like growing up in in Germany. Like, what what is the conversation around you know, World War II, the Nazis, the Holocaust, what is that like? And obviously that's a lot more recent than the Civil War. But, you know, I mean, in the 60s, we had the Civil Rights Movement. So it's not like we haven't had a lot of shit to talk about and we haven't had racial injustice like in our fucking faces for the past, you know, 100 years. Anyway, so his his description is is really fascinating to me because it's the opposite of this. He 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 talked about how you're required to do volunteer, like it, when you hit a certain age, I think it's like graduating high school. So you're already a teenager. You've learned, you're never, you're never not exposed to this. Every year you learn more about it. Every year you're, you go to the different Holocaust museums. You learn about the atrocities that are committed. You're basically told this is how bad it can get. And we're, everything that we're going to do is to avoid doing this again. And the, the sort of, end result of this like the the peak version of this is um to in order to graduate a high school or some version of that you actually have to do volunteer hours with holocaust survivors so you have to go face to face with like it's it's so it's so night and day difference from you know confederate flags should be burned and turn down all the statues and it's it's the complete opposite reaction. It's the complete opposite reaction. And I'm not it's saying it's it's necessarily America, like just not America anymore, dude. Yeah, we're just some like corporate driven, run by a corporate corporate guy. Like we're not even like America, dude. We're not you know Henry Ford. We're not even fucking the Kennedys. Like 
we've just missed some of the real essentials that I grew up with, man, and I miss that shit. I miss being able to just feel American, not African-American, not West Panamanian-American, not just an American, dude. I mean, that's all, all of us to a certain extent. That's why we came here, to be Americans. And then when you start segwaying what that means and defining what that means, you're messing with the essence of this shit. This has no definition. Just like my, my name, Afro-Brutality, I don't define it. I'll say, well, what do you think it is? And you told me. And I've asked other people, well, what do you think it is? Because guess what? You're my customer. I mean, to a certain extent, there's a fuck what I say. Yeah. You gonna buy that shit? No. But if you think you have some kind of emotional attachment to with it in your own way, yes, that's Afro-Brutality. Well, I think it, yes, that's a, yes, 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 yes. You think I'm going to say no if that is your opinion and version of it? No. No, I'm going to try to control the narrative that this shit starts sounding like some racist shit. I'm going to be like, no, fuck you. And I'll throw something at you to prove that you're totally wrong. But for the most part, I'm just an artist, dude, and I'm painting the picture. But it's up to you to kind of do that. And we're just not Americans anymore, dude. Sin, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me this morning. It's been super, super great. Uh, and I know that you have a lot of different things that you're working on, a lot of different projects and and different you know, avenues of of spreading your message and and getting this out there. And I'm very much looking forward to us being able to pick this back up soon to talk about this. We are, dude. Got about a week or so. We're going to hit you with the bigness. I can't wait. How, how is the best way for people to, to find you or get a hold of you? Or Instagram. I mean, my, my, my personal account has become popular because of the profanity on Afro-Brutality. So people, I did that on purpose. So I'm like, okay, if you want the non-profanity, it's, you know, Mr. Sin, so Mr. Dot Sin. If you want the profanity and the pureness of what it is I do in terms of Afro-Brutality, it's Afro-Brutality. Hell yeah, man. Thank you very much, Sin. I appreciate your time, buddy. Totally welcome, man. Thank you.